There's my key card. I think that's mine. Where's Ann Long? Could you check this number out? Anyway, just kidding. Um, kids, it's time for children's worship. Could you head out? Oh, you're in for a treat. So enjoy uh, uh, the Perrys this morning, okay? So we're going to continue looking uh, as we have since uh, the fall at the Old Testament book of Numbers. Uh, And before I read uh, the text today from Numbers 15, there's a couple of things uh, that we need to keep in mind. Um, Becky, would you put my put my notes up there? So when uh, maybe you were here last week, maybe you weren't. But it's really important to to get a, a little bit of a handle on this as we go forward. So when we last saw the people of God. Uh, the, the spies had come back from uh, Canaan, and uh, uh, ten of the spies said, the land is bad, they're walled cities, they're giants, they're going to eat us, they're going to crush us, we're going to be like grasshoppers. Two of the spies said, no, you know what, God's with us, we can do it. So the people panic and decide, no, we're not going to do this, we don't like God, we don't like Moses, we don't like the promised land, we don't like any of this stuff, we're ready to go back. And God says that they're going to wander now in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses intercedes. They kind of repent. And then they decide, okay, we've repented. Now let's go take the land. And God had told them not to do that. They go and they're defeated. So, so what we see here is so there's failed faith, failure to believe God, the failure to take him at his word. Failed repentance because their repentance wasn't real because they thought, okay, you know, we'll act like we're sorry for a little bit and then things will get back to normal and we'll go take the land. And then failed obedience because God had told them not to do that. Now, um, what's the operative word here? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Failed, right? Failed. Failed. Uh, there's a box under my uh, mom and dad's bed in their bedroom full of all kinds of stuff. But one of the things that uh, was in there was all of my report cards, <laughs> which uh, was uh, was really good that those were not available, available to my kids when they were in school because they would have said, we thought you did better in school than you did. Actually, there there weren't any fails on there. But there were a lot of comments like, what's wrong with Steve? But, um, yeah, anyway, um, would you come in and talk to us about that? Uh, but the, 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 the fact that, uh, of the matter is, what we have to see here is, is failure. And, in fact, that you could make a case that, in some ways, this might be the lowest point in the history of the people of God, certainly in the Old Testament people of God. It, it's, it's bad. Let's not sugarcoat this, okay? Uh, it's bad, really bad, uh, and and maybe getting worse. And so chapter uh, 15 begins with God uh, speaking to his people. So in, in light of that context, then let's look at what God says to his failed people. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land you are to inhabit, 
which I am giving you, and you offer to the Lord from the herd or from the flock a food offering or a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering or at your appointed feast to make a pleasing aroma to the Lord, then he who brings his offering shall offer to the Lord a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hen of oil. And you shall offer with the burnt offering or for the sacrifice a quarter of a hen of wine for the drink offering for each lamb. Or for a ram, you shall offer for a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a third of a hen of oil. And for the drink offering, you shall offer a third of a hen of wine, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And when you offer a bull as a burnt offering or sacrifice to fulfill a vow or for peace offerings to the Lord, then one shall offer with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a half a hen of oil, and you shall offer for the, the drink offering a half a hen of wine as a food offering, please a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Thus it shall be done for each bull or ram or for each lamb or young goat. As many as you offer, so, so shall you do with each one, as many as there are. Every native Israelite shall do these things in this way, an offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger is sojourning with you or anyone is living permanently among you and he wishes to offer a food offering, With a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. For the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land to which I bring you, And when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall present a loaf as a contribution. Like a contribution from the threshing floor, so shall you present it. Some of the first of your dough you shall give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your generations. So um, what's going on? One of the things that causes me to fret the most about our congregation is people's marriages. I worry about that maybe more than anything because this is, this is not, this is kind of how things go sometimes for people. So two people, it's true that you see opposites often attract. There's one person in the marriage who's kind of a goof, spontaneous, fun-loving, enjoys life. And then there's the other person who's organized, together, uh, orderly, and that sort of thing. And so there's conflict in the midst of this. And so a lot of what I spend my time doing is sorting through conflict. Now... Our favorite method in this congregation of doing conflict is you have disappointed me, you have hurt me, so I will give you the silent treatment. In fact, I'm not even going to look at you. Now, the difference comes in where some of you, you have different standards about how you apply this. So there's some of you so that if you say to your spouse three times, 
have I done something to offend you? You get to say no three times. And then on the fourth time, you talk about it. Some of us, it's 10 times. <laughs> Some of us, it's 15 times. Um, but that's how, we, that's how we typically handle our conflict. You have disappointed me. You have disappointed me multiple times. Therefore, I will not speak to you. I will turn my back on you. I will ignore you. Tim Keller says of the uh, illustration in the Bible describing the people of God as the bride of Christ, that God is married to his people, that God has the marriage from hell. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Because what we would expect after failure, 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 that God would be like, I'm done. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. At least, at least, you know, for the 40 years that you're going to wander in the wilderness, you know, let's take a break. Let's. Let's not talk to each other for a while. Let's let the dust settle. And we'll, you know, once all of you bad people are dead, I'll start over with the new people. And yet, what we see here in this text is something incredible. It should strike us as profound that after all of this failure, the first words we read is, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land. Amazing. Amazing. Right? Because, because the way we would tend to think about that is, is that, you know, there's just, things have just gotten, gone from bad to worse. These people have rejected Moses. They've rejected God. They, if they could, they would go back to Egypt. If they could, they would sh- uh, drop all of this. They would act, go back to Egypt and say, hey, you remember the plagues? Sorry about that. Misunderstanding. You know, I know you just buried your firstborn, but hey, can you forgive us for that? And take us back as your slaves. Because that this would be better for us than to follow this God and to to have to take him at his word and to go into the promised land and meet those um, uh, challenges that are before us. And so so they cannot imagine a situation where this is going to work out for them. And even when they're confronted and even when when God addresses them and disciplines them, they continue to say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and do this anyway. And when that fails, what's going to happen? Well, God comes and he speaks. But what does he talk to them about? He doesn't, he doesn't go back and rehash, hey, you can, remember what you guys did. But he comes to them and he says, hey, tell the people that when they get to the land, here's what they're going to do. And, and this is one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that God has a future for them. And it is not only does he have a future for them, but it is a future of abundance. I mean, when you read about the hens of flour and the ephahs of flour and the hens of wine and the rams and the bulls and all of that kind of stuff, one of the things you have to see about that is that not only is there a future for the people of God, but there's a future for the people of God where they are going to be offering gigantic offerings of food and produce to their God. Now, granted, 
It's going to take a while to get there. And granted, it, there is going to be a, a generational shift here. But God is communicating something to the failed people. He is communicating to the, to the people who are stuck in the wilderness. He is communicating to the people who struggle to understand the nature of this relationship. And what he says to them is, when, you come into the, when I bring you into the land. Here's, here's, here's how our relationship is going to work. Here, here are some things for you to think about. Here, here's a way for that this is going to work. Now, the, the thing that is profound about that is, is that so much of our lives are spent dwelling in the past. And that is what gets so much of us stuck, right? And the past is important and it, it does, uh, it, 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 it it shapes so much about our present and our future. But God here is all about their future. This is what it's going to look like. And he's saying to them, he's not going to quit on them. He's saying to them, I will continue to have a relationship with you. And even now in this wilderness, while you're waiting, I am going to tell you, this is what life is going to be like in the land. You need to start developing these habits. You need to start developing these kind of spiritual muscle memories so that when you actually, your children actually get to the land, they will understand this is how it's going to work. Right? So it's a, it's, it, it should shock us. That this is the way God works. He's not giving them the silent treatment. He's not, he's not in, in some sort of way kind of turning his back on them. No, he's saying, all right, you know, we've got this problem. The sand is going to cover your bones. But you know what? We are still here. The sun keeps coming up. I am still your God. You are still my people. And we have to make this work. He doesn't quit. Praise God. He doesn't quit. Next slide. So, so, and, and what he says here is that the future includes native born. Now you, we read that in the light and, and you may just kind of pass over that, but that means they're going to be native born. <laughs> that means people are going to have babies and there's life and that it's going to go on. And not only that, what does God say here is that, that, that the, the, the sojourner, the people who come and be a part of your community, the people who come and live among you and want to have a relationship with this God, they will be under the same expectations and have the same means of having this relationship that everybody else has, right? So whoever comes along... And, and wants to understand who God is and who wants to worship him and wants to participate in the community, God says the same rules and regulations that apply to you apply to them. In fact, these, these things that are listed here, this, this list of offerings and sacrifices and all of that, none, none of these things are new. They're, the God has already told them about these things before. And not only that, you know, when we read about offerings and sacrifices, we always assume that they are offerings and sacrifices for sin. None of these are. Even after this terrible thing that's happened, these are fellowship offerings. These are things that you do to uh, participate in a, a family meal together. These are the things that you do. It's, and do you read this thing about God smelling the wine and God smelling the bread and God smelling the, the, 
the bulls that are cooking and the lambs that are cooking and all that stuff. And he says it's a pleasing aroma. It's like you're going to have God over to your house for dinner and he's in the kitchen and he's smelling it. And he says, that smells good. Can't wait to eat with you. Right? I wouldn't want to eat with these people. I, I wouldn't. Who knows what they're liable to do next? Like they're, you know, they might poison my food, <laughs> right? But God is saying, listen, this is, this is how it's going to be. We're going to have fellowship together. We're going to have a relationship. We're going to sit down and eat together and celebrate the abundance of my provision for you. And not just for you, but for even the people who, who want to know me, who want to be a part of me. They, 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 they have, they have the same access and, and the same way. This is, you know, people sometimes say that the Old Testament is, is culturally and racially, uh, just about one group of people, but it's not. Men and women, boys and girls from every language, tribe and nation who bow the knee to, to the king are welcomed at his table. Right. And so so as as we look at this, this 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 should uh, kind of uh, uh, well, it should stir us. Right. Because what God is saying to his people here is that there is a future. God always has a future tilt. God is always looking ahead. God is always planning and moving for a future for his people, a future that is good and a future that is is abundant. You see, that's one of the things that happens to us is, is that we 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 get caught up in and we get stuck in our past patterns. We get stuck. We get disappointed. We get hurt. We get angry. And we think that, you know, God in a sense is done with us. And in a way that we kind of think that we're done with him because maybe our past sins have disqualified us from having a relationship with him. Or, or maybe God has not has not done for us or it, it, it has done something to us that that makes us think that he's not trustworthy. But the, the fact is, God does not turn his back on his people. He has made a commitment and he will see to it that he fulfills his promise to them. But not only, not only, and you know, you know what this is like, you know people who are married to each other and all they have is a commitment to marriage. Not a commitment to each other. But hey, at least we were married. Yeah. You know, I can't stand you. <laughs> but I like the idea of marriage, so we, 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 we stuck it out. Right? It's not like that at all. What you have to see in this is, is that, that God continues to pursue his people and continues to have a, a, a desire to have a, a, a warm relationship with them. And he is saying to them, I know things are hard right now and things are tough and you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But you know what? There's a future and it's bright. It's abundant. It's gracious. It's merciful. And the fact that I am preparing you for it and working with you now is further evidence of my grace and my mercy to you. Right. So it is it's a it's it's such a rich thing for us to see and to kind of unpack and, and, and to think about this. And his rich provision is going to call forth rich offerings on our behalf. What God is saying here is, look, I am going to provide for you. And, and this provision for you calls forth from you the confidence that you can make rich offerings in response to me. 
Now, now one of the things that we tend to think about our giving and our, our, our offerings to the Lord is, is that they're about God's past provision for us. They're not. Every time we give, and these gifts that are offered here, these offerings, they're significant. When you read about a bull, it's really not a bull, it's an ox. The ox was not just a source of food, it was a source of transportation, right? So let's say God said to you, you know what, you know that car you got out there in the parking lot? Set it on fire. (laughs) Burn it up. Now, some of us, that wouldn't be a very costly offering at all, would it? (laughs) Right? Uh but for others of us, like that's that's a pretty costly costly offering, right? But the, what God's saying here is, listen, you you respond in generosity because I have an abundant future for you. I've been faithful to you in the past. I've given to you, yes, but you can look forward to the future and you can burn that ram or you can burn that bull or you can burn that lamb or you can give me that loaf of bread or you can give me that wine because there's more and better in the future. Right. And that even in the face of their own disobedience and their uh, their their own uh, kind of recalcitrant decision uh, to uh, to turn their backs on him. You see, God's going to continue to have a relationship with his people. He is going to continue to pursue them. He is going to continue to see this through uh, to the end. Now, you know, what's funny about that is, is that he has tied himself to these people and they're doing everything they can to get away from him. We, one of the things we did, we looked at a lot of pictures of our family over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, there's a lot of pictures of us with my, uh, with my parents when the kids were little. And, uh, one of the things that we noticed about every single one of them, every single one of them, that in every one of them, my daughter, as a baby, is doing everything she can to get off whoever's lap is holding her. She's not looking at the camera. She is like this, with her legs out and her arms out, like, get me off of here. And I said to her, I'm like, why are you always like that? Why are you so squirmy? She's like, don't touch me. <laughs> I'm like, I am praying for your husband. But uh, so... <laughs> God bless him wherever he is. So, uh, but if, 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 if the person that's holding her lets her go, she was not able to walk. She couldn't even crawl. What was she going to do? She was going to ruin herself. You see, that's the thing that you have to see about this is, is that God loves his people so much that he won't stand even for their rejection because their rejection leads to death. It's not just an end of a relationship, but the pathway for life to them is for him to hold on to them and to get them to the promised land. And do you see what he says here is speak to the people when you come to the land you are to inhabit, which I'm giving to you. Because the way we tend to think about this is, is that somehow or other these people, if they just get their act together and they start doing the offerings and they start doing the sacrifices and they start acting like God is God, then everything's going to be OK. Then they'll be able to make it. But what we see here is, is that God says, look, I'm giving this to you, right? I, I am going to, I am, I am going to give you this land. The way we tend to think about the way faith works, many of us is, is that if we get our act together, God will do good things for us. That somehow or other, there's, there, in fact, if I just get my act together, 
then the, my potential for what God has for me is limitless. The potential for what God has for you is limitless because God is limitless, not because you have potential. We make the mistake all the time of telling people, telling our kids, you can be anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be. And and we kind of interpret the gospel that way too, right? We say, you can be anything you want to be, and plus we add Jesus to that, and so you're set. When I was in middle school, I used to love to watch the NBA on the uh, VHF, UHF channel 18 in Charlotte. I used to watch the Philadelphia 76ers back when they were good. And I loved the NBA. I don't like the NBA very much now. But in the 70s, I thought it was awesome. And I would go out and play basketball with my dad every, every chance we got. My dad played high school basketball back when, you know, they never got within 30 feet of the basket. Everybody's shooting from here, you know, like at half court. And he could, he could, he could hit them from anywhere. Um, if somebody had come to me and said, Steve, if you practice hard enough, you can play in the NBA. Really? 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 What a lie. I'm never, I was never going to play in the NBA. Steve, if you just keep working hard enough, you can dunk. Really? <laughs> really? Maybe on a six-foot basket. Maybe. <laughs> if you give me a ladder, right? <laughs> right? And so, so what's going on here is not, is not this thing where God says, you guys have potential, and so because of your potential, I'm going to give you a future. God is saying, I own you. You belong to me. And because you belong to me, I am going to see you through to the end. So his, his, as he does that, that gives us confidence to know that, that I can respond to this, this, this commitment and I can respond to his grace by being generous myself, right? Next slide. So while the arrival in the promised land is a huge part of what's going on here, all of this is pointless without a relationship with the living God. Um, and that's what God is doing here. He is saying, we're going to continue to have a relationship. Your God loves you so much that he wants a relationship with his people that he died to achieve it, that he bled to achieve it. The point of life, listen to this. The point of life is not to do something. Now, I know for many of us, we think that the point of life is I need to find something that I'm good at and I need to do it. And you know what? That's good. Find something to do. And even if you're not good at it, if God gives you something to do, do it and do it for all your worth. But don't mistake that for the point of life. It's not. It's not. You know why you're breathing this morning? You know why you're breathing? You're breathing because God made you 
to have a relationship with him. That's the point. For him to know you and you to know him. What good is the promised land? Remember with those grapes that people carry around on sticks because they're so big? Without a God who redeems you. Without a God who is for you. Without a God who knows you. What good is making piles of cash without a God who knows you and a God who, who is for you, who redeemed you, who loved you enough to die for you, right? So, so while the promised land is a great thing and, and, and this, this provision is a great thing, all of these things boil down to the fact that this is how we're going to relate to this God. This, this is what he has for us. This is the source of life. And this is what we, this is why we were created. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, look at the Bible. The Bible begins with God creating a man and a woman and putting them in a garden where he comes and walks with them in the cool of the day. The end of the Bible is God coming to be with his people and they will be his people and he will be their God. That is the point. That's why Jesus came. That's why we live. That's why we breathe. That is what he, that, that's the point. And so what God is saying here so profoundly in this text is, listen, I know you people want to get away from me. I know you're stuck and I know this is hard, but we are going to have a relationship and I'm going to love you and I'm going to know you and you're going to know me. And this is the path forward in that. You see, that's the, that's the great thing that we have here. We, we, we're so confused because we think that the point of life is all these other things, but it's not the point of life is to live in joyful dependence, knowing that we have a God who loves us and a God who is for us. Jesus gives us this table, gives us this bread and this cup, not just for us to look back on the fact that he died for us, but to count on the fact that he continues to strive to be in a relationship with us and that he has Good things for his people. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Let's, 